So let's let. Are, are we good, Jonathan? I were. I mean, I was born good. I don't know about you. But, <laughs> I uh, was born slightly messed up, but I'm working <laughs> on it. Thank you. Um, Show title. Right. So let's dive in. Um, so a bit of context. Right now, I'm kind of in the process of inadvertently building a brand. And we're actually having a very in-depth Slack discussion today on changing the brand colors, which like is taking two weeks because you got to get it right because it's going to go on the wall in the new office. Jonathan's starting a brand new new company, which is going to have its own brand, which he's been working on. But I feel like the brand building, quote unquote, is hard for a lot of people because, including myself, because... I don't know how to quantify that. I, I can't tell you. Like It's one of those things like you know it when you see it, but I can't define it. How do you approach, one, building a brand, and two, brand management? Because I think that's something that really does not get talked about as much. There are two different aspects to it. You know, One is you're being very proactive and you're building a brand. You're trying to project a very specific image. You have an idea of you know, how how you want people to respond to your product or your brand and, you know, just the image that you want to project. And then there's the other part, which is more related to brand management, and it's basically reactive. And it's about managing that brand because after you put that idea out, the kind of brand that you want to project, um, you know, people don't necessarily respond the way that you want to. Maybe you think, okay, uh, my brand is going to be really hip. It's going to be really cool and young. Everybody's going to love it. Millennials are going to love it. Generation Z, they're going to love it. And it turns out, you know, from the social media response and everything, that is not the case. That, you know, maybe it's just not something that they're, it's not resonating with them. But um, to answer your question, so in terms of building a brand, I have to be honest, like for reputation management, that mostly it focuses on the reactive part. So how you respond to the way that people see your brand. You really need to kind of monitor industry topics. Okay, this is one thing that you can do really well with um, media monitoring. So you can, you want to monitor key industry terms and then see what kind of topics come up. So um, for instance, can I ask like what your brand is based on? Is it coffee? Because I've heard you guys mention coffee at some point, but I can't tell whose voice belongs to who, so I don't know which, you know, which person's doing what. Yes, that, that is definitely me, and yes, it is definitely coffee. Okay, cool. So in terms of coffee, you could monitor, like, key terms related to that, like coffee, coffee beans, and um, different kinds of roasts and whatnot, and just see, you know, you want to see what kind of conversations are going on and what kind of topics are coming up, like, for instance, I think you would see a lot of people talking about sustainability and concerns for the environment. And that would be something you want to address with your brand. So this is something that it just kind it kind of gives you um, a little more information about what you need to talk about in your brand. But you, you would still need to, I don't know, you would still need to kind of work on your own personality, your own style, and give it a little something extra. But brand monitoring... And especially in terms of industry topics, will give you a little more insight into what what conversations need to be addressed. That makes a lot of sense. It, I, I like the way you're approaching this here. Um, so we've talked a few times about like reactive processes, right? And I'm a big fan of it. It's very much like the lean uh, startup culture kind of thing. And, and it makes a lot of sense to me because what you don't want to do is when you set out to build a brand, say, 
from my own perspective, which is an end of one, right? It's a sample size of just you, no customers involved, say, this is the brand. And it could be well-received or people in that industry say, ah, it's not really who we are. Like maybe you're trying to inadvertently create a new vertical or new segmentation, which is vastly more different, uh, different and difficult than, you know, putting your own spin on what's important. So really what you're doing is you're going out to, to that perceived audience and saying, okay, what's important to them? Maybe we should bake that in as characteristics of our brand. And of course, we're going to put our own, own spin on it. Like I'm a nerdy guy. So like, you know, Aura's, our, our software brand is like space and like nerdiness and stuff like that. But it is important for us to understand what's important there and not just say we're a nerdy brand because really who cares? That's more for us, to be honest. We want to build like this nerdy utopia um, as a company. And that's really for like employees. But for customers, they care more about customer support. They care more about like performance and stuff like that. And so I think it's important to have that feedback loop of, okay, in the early early stages of building this brand, here's what I would like it to be but not be so so polarizing in the sense of it's got to be X. No, it's got to be X with a lot more characteristics that you're going to pull from you know, your, your anticipated customer base. And I think it's important to realize that there's just, oftentimes there's just a very big gap between um, what kind of image that um, a brand thinks that it's projecting and how it's being perceived by the public. And that's what brand management is all about, trying to close that gap. Yeah, so let's dive deeper into the the brand management side because I'm very intrigued. I, I remember early, gosh, this was like years and years ago now when like the first brand management companies came out, like Mention, where you could basically just monitor keywords or your company name. And, and it enabled you to have that reactive nature to people talking about your company or the topics your company you know is related to. But I never really saw, maybe just because I was a small you know, one person operator back in the day, why that really mattered. But I could see it at scale become a problem. As you mentioned, there's that gap between what you're, what you're trying to portray as your brand and what it's being received as. Like if you're, if you're out here saying our customer supports the best and like, that's what we stand for. And you fail on that. It's not being perceived then. So, so what does brand management look like in the way you guys approach that? Awareness is key. I mean, you just, you don't want to kind of, I don't know, be like an ostrich and just have your head buried under the sand, you know. <laughs> uh, but awareness is really key and you have to know what's going on. You have to know what kind of conversations are going on. You want to consider the sentiment of those conversations. Like what kind of feelings does um, your brand inspire in people? Uh, do they feel positively towards it or negatively? And that's actually a way that you can measure your brand reputation by running sentiment analysis. So um, basically, it, it sounds kind of high tech, but it's really not at all um, because all of these tools, they can do it for you. Like you can, as you mentioned, um, that other tool, it will collect all of these public mentions of a brand, just like Brand24 does. And then you can kind of follow these conversations and um you know, it will have some kind of automated process that will tell you what percentage of these mentions are positive, what percentage of these mentions are negative. And then you can, when you examine the conversations, you can find out like what exactly it is about your brand that's that's resonating with other people. Like, what do they like about it? What do they not like about it? And then you can kind of adjust your strategy that way. It's just 
like you said, the feedback loop is very, very important. You need to listen to your customers and your clients. Otherwise, you're just kind of, uh, you're being very forceful and nobody likes that. So I w- just just for clarification, we, when when we're talking about aspects of your brand that you can monitor, we're not just talking about how people feel about like the quality of your product or how well you interact with them. Like it could be really anything like from like the, like the corporate messaging or, you know, how you, how well you do or how poorly you do on social media or like, can we even go so far as to, you know, things like advertising campaigns, like see, like, does it, you know, how well does the logo even resonate? Like, can you get that specific if you really wanted to? Absolutely. You can absolutely get that specific. I mean, it's the internet. People think that they're anonymous and they think that they can say anything they want about anything or anybody that they want. And you'd be surprised at some of the topics that people will talk about. Um, and I think this is actually, this isn't very new, but I remember that a while ago, I think it was, it was a candy bar company. I think it was KitKat. Um, they were they were coming under fire because of their environmental issues concerning some of their products. And so some people even um, took it a bit farther. They went on YouTube and they made a video in response to this. And instead of opening a Kit Kat bar to find, you know, a Kit Kat bar, what they saw was um, like something, it was kind of like, the finger of a gorilla or something like that, you know, it just represented something that the brand was not handling right at that point. So there were environmental issues going on and you could see that um, the audience did not appreciate that and they took it really far and it created like a really, a lot of buzz in social media. That makes sense. I, there's a lot here to unpack and, and I like it cause it's very timely <laughs> just speaking uh, selfishly here for a second, but and, and actually, well, for Jonathan, too, because he's early stages of actually building a, a real brand here. So that's kind of awesome. I got you, bro. <laughs> but but it, what's interesting is you can you can take this really far, right? It, I mean, there's the external and the internal. So I think a lot of companies early on, because it's what they know and what they have access to, and it's a higher sample size, focus on that internal feedback loop, which is like, what are customers saying? They're reaching out to support. What's the tonality here, right? Are they reaching out and, and is the sentiment analysis primarily negative. Okay. We need to understand that as a proportion of our user base. Right. So that's it. That's one aspect, but we never talk about, I'm glad we're doing this now is talking about that external feedback loop, which is okay. It's not like your customers are not going to tell you everything, right? They're only going to tell you what they want to tell you. And most of the time it's kind of filtered, right? They're, they're not going to, it's like, you're not going to walk up to somebody you dislike and just like go ham on them. You're not going to do it. But to somebody else, you probably will. And that's just a human characteristic. Well, if we take that to the online space, the digital realm, so to speak, that also exists. And so being able to have that external and, and not only see, I think, I think the the sentiment, you know, is it is it primarily positive, negative, or neutral, but also look at tonality or how those those users or, or audience really, because they may or may not be users or or customers, respond to your tonality. So like my company is very casual in its tonality. We're not formal. We're not like dry. We throw gifts and emojis and like all of our support like conversations and like that's what we want. But that may not be the right way to address our segment. Now, based off feedback, we know that it is, but in other ones, it may not be. If you're strictly B2B in a older industry, that might be perceived as too juvenile. 
and you may not be taken seriously. So being able to have that feedback loop of, of what tonality should we have in how we write articles, how we create copy, how we address our clients in support or on sales calls, that's something that feeds back and has a direct relationship to revenue, you know, growth, ROI, all that stuff. So I think it, it takes it a step further instead of just, because a lot of people, in my opinion, when I read on like brand management, it's like a very high level thing and it's not, it's not stri- strategic. It's not tactile. It's not like you, they're not showing me the actual ROI of why I should be doing it from my perception of the, the industry itself. It seems just like this thing that fortune 500 companies do just because they can, and it's hard for me as as a smaller company to say we should be doing this. It's it's a hard argument, but I think what we're talking about here is, especially spinning it, spinning it as a feedback loop, shows me the ROI very early on of why this matters because it actually can drive revenue if you take it as a feedback loop and iterate your messaging, how you're approaching certain things. Um, so walk me through, I guess how how would you as a strategy approach, like how would you implement? brand management, and what would that look like? First thing you want to do, as I said, is just to be aware of all the conversations that's going on. And um, and then sentiment analysis is also very important. Uh, But another thing to consider is like, this is a very time-consuming part, but it's also um, the most valuable part, I would say, is you really want to look at the context of these conversations. Uh, a lot of people, they're just interested in numbers. Oh, how many mentions did I get today? And are they positive or negative? And that's great. For some companies, that's that's actually going to be enough. But if you really want to get into it, you have to look into what people are saying and um, like what kind of topics are coming up. So, for instance, I think... Yes. Um, so for the coffee example that I mentioned, you will definitely see a lot of sustainability, a lot of ecological concerns, you know, and you need to address that as soon as possible. The important thing is awareness. Like, first of all, you have to know the metrics, you have to know the numbers, but then you have to know the context. And then after that, you can make your analysis and see what exactly is going on. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying, you know, it, it's a it's a vanity metric generally speaking, just to say like, oh, we had this many likes and blah, 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 right? Yeah, um, that's just vanity. But to drill down and say, okay, we have, we have, let's say 60% positive sentiment analysis, but that 40%, let's go ahead and dive deeper into the, each conversation. And maybe we, we realize like the 80-20 analysis of that is because we don't have one feature. So now we get to go build that one feature. And in doing that one thing, we're reversing that allocation on the sentiment analysis. And now we go from, you know, let's say 60% positive to 80% positive, maybe even 90. Like that's a direct way to say, okay, here's the, here's a feedback loop. Cause I agree. And I think that's where it, when, when brand management software, again, in the early days and a lot has changed, a lot has evolved, kind of seemed vanity to me. Like I set one up and it was kind of cool. I was like, this is awesome. But like, I, I can't take any action on it. But the way we're approaching it in this conversation is helping me see that. So it might be feature. It might be um, they're too dry in support or, hey, their support sucks, right? Like it allows you to know and peek into those conversations and reverse engineer what you need to do. So it gives you a direct action item to fix those things. That's yep, pretty absolutely. cool, actually. <laughs> like That's a really <laughs> awesome thing. I'm, I'm a huge fan of feedback loops. We, I swear the past like three, four episodes, that's all we've talked about in just different contexts. Um, 
But here's another version of it. So it's like further proving my point that these feedback loops, internal, external, adjacent, whatever, you know, however you want to approach it, do matter. And they allow you to take either the, the things that are helping you stand out and doubling down on them or taking the things that are keeping you down or holding you back and then actually fixing or correcting those things. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, so I'm curious, how would you approach this? So, so Jonathan's in the early stage of, of building a brand. Um, how would you approach this for an early company? Obviously, you know, let's not talk about like brand building necessarily, but what should Jonathan be doing at his early stage in terms of like maybe setting things up or just, you know, how should he be, I guess, like prepping his brand to be in the best possible position from like day one? I would recommend that you also monitor your key competitors, competing brands, and like um, you can see what they're doing and you can see what they offer that you don't. You could find um, potential gaps to cover and that would be another audience for you. And um, another thing with with media monitoring is that it can also show you like where these other competing brands are very active. So you can see like with your marketing, if you want to be very active on, I don't know, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, or I don't know, other spaces on the internet, you can see where your competitors are the most active. You can see what kind of sentiment they have in those channels, if it's working for them or not. And then you can examine like, okay, they're doing really well on this channel. Does that mean I should be there? And then, you know, you can just kind of uh, peek into what they're doing and analyze it and see if it feels right for you. Whereas if you see some channels where they're not active, that also might be a potential area for you to invest in. So yeah, there's a lot of value in monitoring your competing brands as well. That's And that's actually really timely. Uh, I think in the last episode, I don't know, I have a terrible memory and I edit these shows, which I think further proves my point, is that you know, once once I started building the cursory components on social media, like we'll use Facebook as a as an example. Everyone's on Facebook practically, right? Um, all I started getting, and maybe this speaks more to Facebook, and you know, it's it's thinking ahead of me, right? It's it's two steps ahead of what I'm even think, thinking about in the moment. All I started seeing were different ads for like brands. Right. Like I'm starting a coffee business, right? Like I'm I'm targeting a very specific niche. Shocker, within a week, that's like 80% of my ad feed. Right. And at first I'm like, this is garbage. I used to I used to love my ads because they were all super relevant and I would buy tons of crap off of them to my uh wife's uh frustration, shall we say. <laughs> um but then it started started clicking that this is actually helpful in that I'm seeing other other people in this space and I, I I get almost like this free cursory research of what's working and what's not. I can see the the brands that have an ad campaign that's got like a thousand likes and six million comments, right? And then I can quickly see, you know, what what everyone's saying. Like I can see which, you know, which creatives are working and which aren't. But there isn't really a way to track any of that. And with Facebook and everything being so ephemeral on your timeline it disappears as quickly as it shows up. And I think the most frustrating part of it all is part of all of it is that in the moment while I'm scrolling through, I'm like, huh, I should make note of that. And then of course I never do. And I never see it again. Right. It's just quickly replaced with something else, which 
speaks more about right. social right, media Jonathan, in general. I got you. We're going to solve this now. <laughs> oh, perfect. You're going to take us. You're going to take a screenshot and you're going to upload it to Airtable. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. What you're basically doing is, and it, here's what I think makes a lot of sense: is you take a screenshot of the ad itself, add it to Airtable, whatever tool you want to use. But you're in, you're also including the number of likes and comments, right? So you have a direct like, okay, show me the ads that have the highest likes and comments, you know, to each other. Then you can say, okay, well, what's let's run an eighty twenty on here and see what are the commonalities. Maybe it's tonality. Maybe they all include this object in the image, right? You can kind of reverse engineer some of this stuff from at least the ad side. But I think you could do that really like across the board, right? Like you could, like Chia was saying, you can you can go and analyze not just the ads that they're running from a marketing standpoint, look at copy, right? Like look at trend analysis on um, on Google, right? Like look at coffee sustainability. Like, is that going up? Is it trending up? Great, let's double down on that, right? So you can even take this, this feedback loop idea in the early stages and look at the data set that's already available from all these different tools from like search, ad, stuff like that. And essentially, like, build your own database of things that theoretically work because you're watching them, right? Like, and and it also, I think, helps you see which channels. Because I know what was hard for us and where we're finally getting to is in the early stages on the growth side, you're looking at a plethora of channels that you could go target. Maybe it's Facebook ads. Maybe it's SEO. We don't know. And this is where, like, the book Traction comes into play and certainly helps with the framework. But, like... You have to test a lot of these things, but being able to realize that you're having this exposure as the perceived customer, you get to see on the opposite end and say, okay, I'm getting a ton more ads on Facebook than I am on Twitter than I am on blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's where we need to spend a little bit more time in the early days versus trying Reddit, right? Like, which I totally did and it did not work. Reddit's terrible. People <laughs> that's a garbage fire. Dude, it really is. As a user, I love it, but like trying to promote something on there, it was it was a garbage fire for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but what's interesting is like I'm so obsessed with like Facebook ads because if you can get them at you know a three to one for SaaS ratio, CAC to LTV ratio, that's profitable and sustainable, and like you can just increase ad spend assuming that holds. But what's funny is SEO is completely outplaying everything else, mm. which is Google. nuts to me. Yeah. It's great, like yeah, like trial to paid conversion rate literally triple. <laughs> like it's nuts. But, but I think if we had that, that lens or that perspective to view earlier on, we could have paid attention a little bit more and, and really saved ourselves one, a lot of money to a lot of time. So I think, I think there's, there's a, there's a process there for you, Jonathan. Oh no, for sure. There's, there's, I, I still have a ton to learn about this type of research. You know, this is, this is the first legitimate Legitimate makes it sound like I've been doing shady shit all, all this time. Well, you have, it's Jonathan. Not, let's be honest. Fine. <laughs> all right. Fine. Fine. Um, this is the first, you know, brand that's tied to a tangible. Yeah. That I've created from nothing, right? And at first, I, I was just entirely overwhelmed. I don't even really know where to start, right? I just kind of just started doing little bits and things here and there, seeing, you know. Like, is this, is this thing I should be doing now? Is this the thing I should be doing now? And it's, it's started to kind of tighten up and, you know, getting, getting a good uh, path going here now. But I still, I, I know there's, I have a lot to both learn and understand, a lot of information I still have to gather about where I can slot my, myself into this massive market, find a way to kind of carve out a bit 
creating something that's legitimate. Not one. I was about to say wholesome, but like this isn't lifetime. This is, <laughs> this is no. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I want, I want the the brand to be known for something, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, just, sure. I'm not just to, like cranking something out and then moving on to the next thing, right? Like, and what that something is. You know, I haven't quite found that yet because I'm not entirely, entirely sure how to find that, you know. Uh, so if, if nothing else, seeing what everyone else is doing, especially in this more specific kind of like craft coffee, specialty coffee space is doing and seeing what's working, you know, I don't necessarily want to mimic everybody exactly. But there is, I, I imagine there is going to be a very obvious trend and a various obvious group of things that everyone's doing that's working, right? Like, I, I can't imagine that's not going to stand out. Yeah, I, I think two things on that. One, there is a a vast difference in building a business and building a company that has a brand. And I think that's what you were alluding to when you were saying legitimate, right? There's a difference between, like, you starting a business that makes you some money, right? Like a cash flow business, right? Like, you start an Amazon business that's, like, reselling. You don't have a brand. Like, you have a business name, but it's not the same. You're, like, you don't need to build a brand because nobody really cares because they don't even know that it's you selling to them as as an Amazon Prime customer. But outside of that world, building a company that does stand for X, Y, and Z revolves around building a brand. And it, I think it is different because this is actually the first time I've ever attempted to do it. And I have no daggum clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and we're still trying to figure it out. But I think, too, there is something to be said. And you see it in different realms. Um, prime example, like if you want to start a private label brand, or let's just call it, I hate private label, the term now. You want to start a physical product brand. You go look at the competitors and you look at the reviews. What do people love? What are the five-star reviews? Collate that. That's what we're definitely going to include. What do people hate? collate that don't include those right and it's kind of counterintuitive to the the first movers advantage right like that's great for starting a whole new industry or a new segment or a new vertical like that's awesome right but you're not starting a coffee company that is like legitimately like it's space coffee right like that's there a, a company is doing that like they're brewing it in space I, it's if there ridiculous. was a way wow <laughs> right like, Believe me, if that wasn't prohibitively <laughs> expensive, I probably yeah. would have considered It's like it. 20 grand a cup, but like that's its own thing, right? But that's not what we're doing here. It's, I think it is different. So you get to say, okay, these people have pretty much tested. They've A-B tested everything for me and their customers have left reviews that I can now go, you know, data mine. I can I can web scrape it. Do I mean, heck, you, you um, I know like Monkey Learn's pretty decent for some you know, off-the-shelf machine learning models. Keyword extraction. I mean, I did this. At, I did a message mining campaign not too long ago, externally and internally. Had people answer like three to five questions, and then I ran uh, a keyword extraction uh, model against all their responses in their own words, and they got to tell me what's most important. Like the terms that they use is reliable, speed, and I'm like, great. We need to include the terms reliable and speed inside all of our our messaging, and as a company, we need to portray that. Maybe that's done with colors. Like we're looking at a lot of brand colors right now, right? There's there's the the color of science or science of color, right? So certain ones elicit like feelings of you know reliability. Like okay, cool. Let's maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I'm at least stacking it in the favor of what customers say they want and love about us, 
but I also get to see the negative, right? And so you can kind of do that not internally, but with your competitors, which is kind of awesome. Like that's a fun thing. And you're a data guy. So like you're going to like that either way, (laughs) but it's a cool nerdy way to approach like reverse engineering what's working and what's not working. Chia, how can we work like brand brand ambassadors? I hate that term so much because it just... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but it's 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 like when you hear someone say the word moist, and it's just like why you did know, you have to put that at the end of it? Though? Just just get real close and say moist. Okay. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> that's going in the show. Leave it alone. Um, you know, to to an extent, brands, ambassadors, and their followings, and you know, their following sentiment, you know, kind of loosely ties into the concept of reviews, but like how, I assume at some point that's something I'm going to want to think about because, you know, there's, there are no shortage of brand, God, I hate the word brand event. People (laughs) on the internet that will pitch your stuff to their following. That's, that sounds even worse. Fine. Just call them I, affiliates. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. The gross nineties version of it. But yeah, <laughs> th- that's true. That is more or less the, the arrangement. How, how do I work them into this? Cause I know it at, at some point it is something I'm going to want to think about, especially if I can find the correct niche of brand ambassador that has a following that would actually care. I know this is a buzzword that a lot of people are sick of, but I think being genuine and authentic is really important. So you want to work with people who are genuine fans of your product. You know, they really love it. And I mean, well, the best way to do it is just by monitoring those conversations. And you can see like... Um, you can look at the audience and you can see who has a great following and who who has a really engaged following because, you know, it's really not just about numbers. People can buy numbers, um, but it's a lot harder to buy engagement. And um, yeah, so these are the people that you want to that you want to look for because they can really help you build your brand because when they talk about it, they're helping to build your reputation. They're helping to shape it. You know, it's not just the people who have, um, who have negative things to say because they're actually helping to shape your reputation as well. Just not in the way that you want them to. Um, but ambassadors are really important that way to reach them. And, um, and then the, the really the big fish, I guess you could say, are they're the influencers and they have massive followings and, you know, they can they can really influence um, people's perceptions of your brand. They can convince or persuade their followers to um, give your product a try. And as long as everything is very genuine and authentic and you find somebody or some people who can portray your brand like really well, they can represent you. It's it's not a bad way to go. Actually, it can be a very profitable way to go as long as their target audience is also your target audience. That's fair. That's fair. If you know, looking at both of these categories that do have some overlap, right? Your your most loyal fans and influencers can can potentially be the same people. Definitely. You know, if 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 I'm looking at both of these these groups, like who who should I focus on first like my my gut tells me focus on your loyal followers first but you know i also don't see anything inherently wrong with finding an entirely fresh audience i think it depends on what stage you're at so at the beginning 
I know that um, it, well, actually, it sounds like you're interested in just finding that new audience, but um, as, you know, if you're just starting out, not all companies will have that kind of funding because if you're working with big influencers, it's usually not going to be cheap. So, you know, um, even if they like your brand, it won't be cheap. But if you can find, if you can reach your brand ambassadors, so they're, they're not influencers per se, but, um, you know, they still have their own networks. They still have their friends and they're pretty active on social media or other spaces on the Internet. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to reach your brand ambassadors, your biggest fans, instead of aiming for huge influencers with millions in their following. Yeah, I can echo that, too, because like affiliates or you know, brand ambassadors, however you want to you know, paint, paint that have been like a large growth lever for us in a, in a great channel. What we found is we, we try to proactively go after it. So I actually like hired somebody like part-time and it was like, Hey, your sole job is to go find potential new affiliates and get them on board. And what's interesting is we can have people that would actually reach out to us that didn't use the tool that just said, Hey, I've got millions of people who follow me. I'll say, jump, they'll jump. I'm going to crush it with you guys. I'm like, great. Here's your link. Like, let's see how you do. And they don't sign up anybody, but then you have people that, You've never heard of their audiences, decent size, but not massive. And they're like, I love what you guys are doing. I'm already basically sharing this. I just want to like basically make our arrangement more formal. Awesome. And then they crush it. So what's interesting is I think, and I think it's subjective, right? Like my sample size is literally just one, my company, but what we've seen thus far is the people who have a, a, even like a small audience, but like she was saying, a engaged audience and who actually believe in what you're doing in your product or your service, if they get behind it, that's vastly different than somebody who's got a million people who just go, I'm, I'm just going to promote it. Like, but you're not, it, there's a difference between getting behind a brand and then just putting up a post on Instagram. Right. And I think, I think that's, what's very important to understand is like, I think you should really kind of focus in on, I think it's maybe a bit of both, right? Like you focus primarily on building that loyal audience, that engaging audience that loves what you're doing. And yeah, if they have a small audience, awesome. Like they're going to share it either way because they love it. And then like you do try to find some larger people a little bit proactively, but it's funny because just every person that has reached out, that's like, I'm a person in this industry and like, I'm going to help you guys crush it. I'm going to double your business. They don't do anything. <laughs> and then you have somebody you've never heard of who, you know, barely has any followers and they crush it with you because they actually care. Um, that's pretty cool. Like, I, I think, I don't know. I don't think it's binary in that regard. I think it kind of just depends, right? Cause it, it depends on your audience. It depends on what the industry looks like. Um, but I think, I think fundamentally, at least from what we've seen again, is that the people who actually use a product, use a tool, use a service, and want to promote you because they love it. Game changer, complete game changer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think actually um, you were just describing those people who um, are not exactly big influencers. They have a sizable following decent, but not what you would describe huge. It just made me think of this other buzzword that uh, that's kind of been an earworm lately, but you know, micro influencers. Yeah. I was thinking about that micro influencers. They can also be really, really helpful. I hate all these terms. <laughs> <laughs> we like to label things, Jonathan. Come on. You know, you know, I'm a minimalist. Uh, no, I was, oh, I can't even flow with it. There's two. I was going to throw like five out, but I can't even flow. It's too annoying. 
Never mind. Do you want to do you want to take a second stab at it? Do you want me to set you up again? <laughs> edit it out. Okay. What was it? I was going to say uh, minimalist, millennial, entrepreneur, influencer, philanthropist. So now you know everything about me, Jonathan. And like three of those are lies. Oh. Everybody just stopped the podcast, right? I now. know, right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I can feel it. You hear that? Yeah. That's the sound of no one listening. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, all of this is leading up to, you know, I think one thing we kind of bury in the lead here a little bit, but Chia, you are, how do you say, an expert. Uh, no, please in, don't in say space. that. No, you don't want me to call you an expert. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, okay, a student. You, a student. Yeah, a student. Uh, yeah. Yes, That's, that works. Mm-hmm. So you work for a particular company that helps people excel in this space. Tell me, tell me more about that. Right. So I work for a company called Brand Twenty Four, and um, so this is a SaaS company that makes media monitoring software. So basically everything that we've been talking about earlier, well, most of what we've been talking about earlier, I suppose, um, it kind of describes what Brand24 does. So basically you can, it's great for reputation management because you can easily monitor your brand all over all over the internet, like in social media. It actually, um, we monitor podcasts now, so we can monitor podcasts. And there's even newsletter monitoring coming up and um, a lot of other spaces, web forms, social media. But you can monitor your brand and you can see all these conversations and you can analyze the sentiment. You can see what kind of topics are coming up in, you know, in mentions of your brand. And um, you you can kind of see what kind of topics are trending as well. And you can also analyze your competitor. You can do a lot of stuff with this. It just depends on what you're looking for. And do you guys primarily target um, e-commerce or SaaS, or is it kind of like any business model works with you guys? Uh, Most business models will work with us. Um, But I think a large part of our user base is we work with a lot of digital agencies, a lot of PR agencies, because it's, it's reputation management. This is... You know, this is very important for PR. So we work with a lot of PR agencies. We do work with some some entrepreneurs and um, some bigger companies as well, as well as universities who want to use media monitoring software for research. Um, it's very diverse, actually. Oh, wow. Jonathan, I see your cat. <laughs> I see your cat. And <laughs> I have mine. He's very angry now. Just totally derailed the conversation. And Dylan has a plant. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have animals. Oh, poor (laughs) Dylan. It's the only living thing in my apartment. (laughs) I have to ask, though, Jonathan, did you um, show us your cat because you could hear mine meowing in the background? Oh, okay. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. You're good. You're good. (laughs) Please continue. Uh, I, I think I covered most of it, actually. I, I was distracted by the cat. I'm sorry. I'm a cat person. I see a cat, and my brain just goes, cats, cats. But- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's great. Dylan, are you caught up on Westworld? Um, I'm in season two now. Um, this move is literally driving me insane. I've not started packing. That's today. Um, mm-hmm. It's been like say, all Your apartment just- looks pretty unpacked. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's like all the logistics, it's nuts. And then like, everybody's like both excited and sad. So like this weekend I'm packing like 30 parties into like two days just to like get through everybody. 
um, and then like selling the car and like all this other stuff. So it's just been nuts. Um, but we're wrapping up the NWS audit, so that's nice. I have the last deliverable that I'm working on today, so that's less stressful. <laughs> so you have all of, all of these other things that are distracting you from the your your penultimate duty, which is to watch Westworld. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and I've been getting I've been getting back into coding a little bit, which is always fun for me. But now it's picking a, a project that I can actually build. I had one I wanted to build, and it turns out um, it's linear programming. And what I want to do is actually really difficult. <laughs> So probably not going to happen. So that sucks. Um, but I'm getting there. I, I can see the the storyline changing in Westworld season two already. And I'm already kind of like, where are you? Like, it's basically done. Where are you <laughs> taking this? It's it's definitely that was a thought that crossed my mind. I, I guess a Westworld spoiler horn or, you know, feel free to stop here. I suppose that was one thing that crossed my mind because you know the the first season was entirely based upon and gee i don't know how far you are into the show so i've watched everything doing... <laughs> okay good so you're safe. <laughs> um you know the first season was based on being in westworld right like that was that was the premise for the original movie in 1979 that the show is based off of so i had that same question like okay if we are in theory leaving westworld why is it still called westworld <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? So one of them gets away to find her daughter and like that's fine, but now we're not in Westworld. And I watch this because it's literally like an RPG in real life with like avatars. Cowboy that's robots, wa- right? Like, like that's yeah, two of them. I'm watching that for this reason. And they're like, <laughs> right. now it's a drama. Like, really? Like, no. <laughs> There's too I'm, many feelings like, in this show now. I'm just going to go binge watch Black Mirror again for like the 19th time. <laughs> like, man, you're killing me here. Yeah, so. Yeah. It's definitely, I don't know if that feeling will ever go away, technically, personally. I, uh, why why continue is, is my, my question. Uh, yeah, well, I mean. Chia, is it the, worth it to continue? You, you've seen all of it. Oh, you know what? Um, that that's a no. That's <laughs> you know, a no. No, no, no. Watch all of it, except, except maybe for the last few episodes of the final season. There, that's it. Okay, okay. so basically closing the loop was garbage okay <laughs> you don't you don't think well so there's supposed to be a season four so what oh okay what i'm not even sure how, how they got to season three i'll find out you'll see. i have no idea you'll see it's it's interesting um so you're telling me that <laughs> the events that transpired in the end i mean <laughs> it was it was good to see all that stuff tied off but uh-huh ultimately it let you down the last four God, it's hard to say things about what she just said without ruining it for dylan <laughs> and our listeners just ruin it so i know if i need to continue watching or not because right now what no, i'm doing i refuse is to ruin it <laughs> all shows that are new are boring to me and so i've just been going back and watching like 80s movies oh, to be no. honest i've been that well, i suppose that's good that's and they're that's great funny. i mean dude listen 80s hacker movies were like the coolest cultish thing of all time like sneakers like all that is awesome like War games, if you haven't watched any 80s hacker movies, they're all great. All of them. Mm. Oh, and James, my co-founder, is obsessed with like horror films. Have you ever seen Hell House LLC? What? No, that no. sounds like Dude, a terrible movie. No, listen. Watch it. Like, I'm talking like, I just put it on. I'm at the house by myself. Like, it's dark. We're watching it. I'm like, we'll see. No, dude, halfway through, I'm like... 
need to watch <laughs> Disney after this thing. Like, oh my gosh. Like, it's so crazy, dude. It's so insane. But if you like scary movie or, or like horror films, this is the one. It's not like slashy and gory and all that. It's like creepy. Like what in was a great the, way. What was the movie, the, the hide and seek with shotguns movie? What? That was both terrible and... I never saw that. Interesting. Um, huh. Oh, you're, you're talking about... Um, it was oh, like gosh, Halloween what's it called? Yeah, something. it takes place in the old house. Yeah. What um, the hell movie? What was that called? They had mask on. It's based <laughs> off true events. Was it just called Hide and Seek? Like, am I no, just no, no, no. no, it was not. Hide and Seek with Guns. No, I don't want Fortnite. It's like the crazy... God. No, it wasn't the crazies. Oh my God, Ready or that's not, not, that's what it was called. Oh, Ready never. I'm not. thinking of a completely different movie. Ready or not. That was uh, terrible. Okay. But if you like terrible then I'm sure it'll slot in nicely. But, um, yeah, Westworld. It, <laughs> I have mixed feelings. Being at the end of the third, third season, I have mixed feelings. I, I like that they were able to figure something out to keep the story going outside of the Westworld. But I would also like to see... I think I would prefer, if they were going to make more of anything like this, I would like to see spinoffs of the other worlds. Yeah, that would be cool. Or give me, like, the building of Westworld, like the early versions. Like, that's kind of cool. You could tie a plot around that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. It's it's weird because I watched the first season. It was great, but then it just made me want it to be real. Like, all futuristic <laughs> movies and shows, I'm that guy who's like, why doesn't this exist now? Like, mm-hmm. this is super cool. Yeah. Like, I don't want to pay 40 grand a day to do it, but, like... It could be a theme park. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it would just be cool to go into, like, a different world, so to speak, but it be real. It's like the VR version of real life, but not VR. That's kind of cool to me. I don't know. It's an interesting concept. We'll, we'll put, like, all the thing, all, all, like, the tech in Black Mirror, I'm like, we should have that now. And I'm offended that we don't. Black Mirror, I... <laughs> Not this is now. Them, this way. is now a movie and TV <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> Black Mirror. It's. I, I had to stop watching it because it started. It started predicting too many things that are coming true. I, you know, it's like The Simpsons, right? Like everything yeah. that's happened in The Simpsons eventually happens in real life. Right. Um, and like, where's your time machine? Because you have one, <laughs> right? And so, like, I start like, and, and Black Mirror is a lot more dark and. Uh, nihilistic about everything too so that just makes it even more sad because it's like <sighs> great another today is yet another black mirror episode right and then i just i can't i can't muster up the energy to go and watch more of it because i don't want i don't want to see more th- in my mind i don't want to see more things that could possibly come true like it, it's but you know what's funny to me is like i i take such a fundamentally different approach to black mirror where like i know it's a negative take on all these things but I just isolate the tech itself, and, and I'm like, that's amazing. I want that tech. Just don't give me, like, the negative repercussions of it. Because I'm a millennial. That's what we want. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's cool. No. I mean, think like, the whole, like, the spaceship win, that was amazing. Like, he's he's in VR, like, fully plugged in, like, Neuralink, and it's, like, real. Like, uh, I don't want to yeah, be, like, mm-hmm. a dictator and be like, I'm going to turn you into, like, this monster because you're mean to me. Like, I'm not going to go clone people's DNA, but, like, Give me some NPCs, some avatars, and let's go fight like Star Trek, like mm-hmm. Star Wars, like whatever. Like that's cool mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. But like, let's not take like because here's what Black Mirror does: they take one type of technology and they extrapolate it in a negative light, and that's the plot. 
That's the whole framework for their shows, by the way, which is fine. But why can't we do the same thing and extrapolate it positively? Because it's 50-50, in my opinion, at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. No, there, there were a lot of episodes where I'm like, that's really neat. Like, the, um, what was the episode? The, it was the, the episode where you could rewind to any point in your yeah. past and kind of replay it. Um, I have the list here. I'm trying to find it real quick. Uh, the History of You, uh, yeah. Series 1, Episode 3. Yeah. Uh, that, like, on the surface is really neat, but there's a lot of shit in my past I like to forget. <laughs> like, I don't want to rewatch that one. <laughs> you know, like, it sounds great on the surface, but then you spend more than five minutes with it like the show did, and you're like, no, I changed my mind. Um, the only one that I really, like, felt good about was uh, San Junipero. Oh, that was awesome. That, Which one was so that? I don't know why it took me so long to it it's like a VR simulator for when you die. But like you get to keep living kind of a thing. Series three, episode four. It's it's one of the best ones in my opinion. It's so sick. Um like it's it's the same town in different decades. And you get to jump between. So like you can physically die, but you they basically plug your consciousness and upload it into this thing. <sighs> And it's like ah, an ongoing yes. uh-huh. simulation. Yeah, it's the coolest. Or like if you're in a coma, they're like, hey, we just hook you up. And like you at least get to like run around and like have a life. Like that's super cool to me. And I think we're getting to that. So this is why I like Black Mirror. They take stuff like that, extrapolate it like really far out to where it becomes a normality in that future reality, right? Like that's cool to me because it, it at least gives you a, a visual representation of what that could look like once it's normalized right a lot of people are like oh vr what does it matter you get to play video games okay but that's one use case what if we take that further out that's different like that extrapolation is really interesting even though sometimes they take a very negative you know view or perspective on that extrapolation it's still really really interesting um like the striking vipers was the weird it was super weird but it was cool that like you could do vr games where like it feels real like you know yeah that's kind of neat, right? It's very like ready player one kind of tech, um, which I'm personally excited about. I've always said I want to live in the future and uh, <laughs> I forget who said it. It was like the future's already here, but it's not evenly distributed. I love that quote. Hmm. It's great because most tech is very expensive. <laughs> so not evenly distributed, but uh, are you going to read know, like ready a- player two when it comes out the book? Do you read is books? Com- you read books, right? Yeah. I, I finished ready player one. I've read like, religiously like it's bad um (laughs) no so i did finish ready player one amazing has he confirmed he's coming out with ready player two uh november 24th i think oh my gosh okay i wanted to continue so bad and by the way i watched the movie once a week i'm not even joking like i've yet to get sick of it i love it dude it's so sick so sick i'm reading dune right now that's pretty good but like that's dense in terms of like the world building and stuff it's it's like a lot to keep up with (laughs) But yeah, no, I I like that stuff. I I want, and to tie it kind of back in to the reason this podcast exists, I want some of that tech applied to business because it could be, right? Like I wrote a a blog titled, you know, um, the future of e-commerce. Hey Siri, can you uh, place restock orders for me? Like that's- God, you just triggered everyone's phones, dude. Why? (laughs) No, it's my voice. I didn't say the the A win. I didn't say uh, the Google win. Siri's different. (sighs) You've never Got listened you. to a podcast where they said that out loud, have you? <laughs> no, I have. It's great. I, I apologize um, in advance if anyone's phones just chimed and stopped the podcast to answer. I love questions. it. 
but but think about it, like that's that's theoretically possible now with the right APIs and the right data, you know, organized in the right way. That right now is possible, but I think it's too easy for us to just think linearly and say like, okay, well, here's where we're at now. Therefore, like that's too big of a jump. Like, but it's not. It's just it takes somebody building that functionality to make it possible. Like, I think we're going to get to a point where you running a business or managing the operations daily of a business is going to be less you doing a lot of that tedious work and more just you giving commands out to do certain things, or you don't even need to do that, right? Like, I mean, it, it, you can already say, optimize my restock orders based on profitability and these constraints. Like Excel can do that. Like it's a difficult mathematic thing to solve as I've recently found out because I tried to build that in Python, but that doesn't mean somebody smarter than me, which most people are, couldn't do that, right? And so you get to a point where you can have, because I have this theory that most businesses, especially moving into the future, should be purely reactive. Most businesses that are large now are not reactive, they're proactive. I think, and this is why I'm obsessed with feedback loops, right? Tie it back into brand management. Why are you making decisions that does not you know, evolve from the data that is your your audience, your customers, people who would be a customer but aren't, right? And to have this beautiful feedback loop in, in different contexts allows your business to be purely flexible and reactive to what's actually happening in reality. Not just you saying, well, I want my brand to be X. Who cares? But if 80% <laughs> of that audience says, I want you to be sustainable, great. I don't need to make that decision. The, the group, so to speak, gets to make that decision for me. If our users say, if 80% of our users say, I want this feature, I want to build that feature. Whether I think it's valuable or not, they're telling me it is. And so it reduces the decision fatigue for me as an entrepreneur. Now, I still need to you know, look at that from a long-term perspective, especially with software. I can't just be like, oh, we'll just build all the things. I do have to take a contextual approach to it. But what I don't have to do is sit back in an armchair for 30 days and be like, what features should we build? No, here's the group. Here's the this, this, this set of features that users say they want, which ones would add the most value and how do we tie that into other things and like create new things that wouldn't have existed because nobody knew about it. Like that exists, but it makes it easier for me to make those decisions and they're more informed decisions, right? It's like manufacturing is happening right now. Like there are companies that are doing, um, there's one company in Boston that's doing production level 3D printing of metal they're the first one. It's not prototype. It's actual production that enables you to have real time manufacturing. So you don't have to forecast anymore. You don't go, I think I'm going to need 5,000 units in the next 30 days. No order gets placed, order gets created, product gets printed, it's shipped. There is no lag time. There is no forecasting. It's, it's 100% accurate in that regard. You know, if we factor out like returns and stuff, <laughs> but that's cool, right? Like it, it makes business way easy. And you don't have to rely upon statistics anymore. It's purely math. And that's accurate and precise. That's pretty interesting. And so I like taking a lot of this, this tech that are in shows because nine times out of 10, fiction you know, projects future technology because that's how geeks work. We go, that's awesome. Let's try to build it. And we dedicate our entire lives to building something. <laughs> like That's how this works. And so you get to kind of get a glimpse at what a potential future could look like both as on a personal level and on a business level. And you get, you get to reverse engineer and say, okay, well, what's the closest thing to that now? Great. Let's go here. I mean, listen, what you guys are doing at brand 24, like sentiment analysis used to be very expensive to do. And now you guys can do that and you can offer that to your clients. Like that's very important. Back in the day, you had to do like email surveys and like have qualitative 
metrics, but you guys now get to produce a software that states, no, we're going to make this quantitative. We're going to make it easy for you. So you reduce the cost of it. I don't have to hire people to do, to manage this as an entire department for me anymore. Like that's pretty cool if you think about it from that perspective. And so you get to take that into different departments, different tasks, different areas. Um, and to me, that's where like things get fun. <laughs> so to wrap this all up and bring it back, back on topic here, the right at the end. Far back. <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta wind this one up quite a bit. Um, Chia, where can people find you? The things you're building, things you're working on, all that good stuff. All of that stuff. Um, well, I think the easiest, easiest, absolutely easiest way to find me is just go directly to brand24.com. Um, so <laughs> to tie everything Are you together, like plastered on the homepage? Is that... <laughs> you know what? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, actually. <laughs> actually. Oh, God. Did I just walk into that one? <laughs> Don't go on brand24.com, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> But um, anyway. oh, you baited me on that one. You are not. Oh, I I fell for that. That's, uh-huh. that's, that's on me. Right. <laughs> the show's yeah. over. We're done. <laughs> but yeah, brand24.com. It's just the easiest way to remember it. And we have a lot of resources for people who may be interested in media monitoring and reputation management. There is the blog and. Um, there are, we have a course on reputation management via media monitoring and, um, yeah, you can access it right from our homepage and it'll, you can also go on, um, Udemy or Skillshare, just whichever platform you prefer. And yeah, we're there for you. Awesome. Chia, we, we appreciate you coming on. This was fun. I, I know it was a bit casual. We try to keep it that way and make it more fun, jump around a little <laughs> bit, but, but we appreciate you kind of sticking it out and, uh, nerding out with us. Yeah, it was great. Thank you guys so much. I, I'm sorry about my cat again. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're good. Ahoy, telephone and podcast. Okay.